Hello and welcome to the second Lights Out Racing podcast covering the Australian Grand Prix with me, Tony Nock, and my co-host, Cole Brockwell. Okay, we're back and we're feeling good. Well, maybe I won't go as far as feeling good at the moment. I'm feeling somewhere in between a hangover and jet lag after two very early mornings followed by a late night this weekend. Yeah, absolutely. So am I. Um, I I'm very much in that point where I'm um, well my eyes are open um, but uh, I think my body wants to sleep so um, yeah I think it's uh, I, I, it's, uh, I think it's one of the very few races that we've got uh, coming up um, in, the, in the short term anyway where we're going to have to get up that time but um, yeah, yeah it's well sli- slightly it. more sociable next week with um, yeah. eight o'clock starts so <laughs> yep yeah, yeah so then before we um, both fall asleep at the mic I think we should crack on with the podcast Okay, so moving on to the news roundup, the first story we'll be looking at is Robert Kubitz has returned to racing with WRC. And Bernie Eccleston has reported to have said that a 22 race season is possible. We'll be discussing whether that really is and what the ramifications are if the calendar increased any more. We'll be looking at a possible return for Honda as an engine supplier in the sport and the possibility that they may be supplying McLaren with their engines in the 2015 season. Changes afoot at McLaren, where Vodafone will no longer be sponsoring them from 2014 onwards. We'll be looking at the potential ramifications for that and what the reasons were. We'll have a look at where we think the future of F1 TV coverage is heading. Will it be free-to-air, pay-per-view or maybe direct live streams? Okay, so that's the roundup finished. Now to have a look at the stories in a little more detail. The first one up we've got is uh, Robert Kubitz uh, competing in WRC this year. Yeah, obviously, uh, I think he still has um, some ability problems with his uh, with his wrist or, or arm. Um, yeah, I believe it's yeah. In the story, it was quoted as the as the whole thing. I think the right the right arm, hand, wrist, the everything. So yeah, so I'm I'm mean, quite interested to understand um, you know how he's been getting on with that really because obviously it seems like he's had a dispensation to have a a paddle gearbox. Yeah, that's correct. Um, so I mean, I, I'm I'm just sort of wondering, obviously, with with that, with Kubica being you know, brought to come in, I mean, whether that that was been given dispensation for him because of his history, or whether that is something which you can have normally as as any driver really um, coming in. If you know if he's good enough, then then they'll make these these adjustments. I believe probably with that one, it's going to be a little bit of both because I think with yeah. Kubica, his his name carries a bit of weight. A former sorry, a former Formula One person going over mm. to WRC is going to bring some viewers to WRC. So mm. they're probably a bit more lenient there. But if he can show an actual need rather than a want for the flappy paddle gearbox as well, I should imagine that's going to make a um, a big difference there. Do you think he'll, um, he'll come back to F1? Um, I would like to think that the... Um, uh, like the stresses and strains that are going to be put on his body in WRC would give him some kind of idea of whether he'll be able to come back to F1 or not. But the problem I think he's going to have is going to be the fine motor skills for his fingers, like pushing the buttons, turning the, the knobs and just doing the general um, holding on to the steering wheel under like the high loads in, in F1. I think that's where he may struggle a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I'm, what I'm also thinking of is, is whether obviously you've got more protection as well, haven't you, uh, um, in, in you know rallies. And obviously we, when we saw from... Uh, the race last year where Grosjean uh, went over the top of Alonso uh, nearly taking his um, hand out. You certainly, you certainly don't want that, do you? Again, or you know, risk that happening again. So uh, you're a little bit more exposed, aren't you? I think the the WRC cars themselves are very are very safe. There's there's a lot of padding, a lot of um, safety features in those. I think the problem is the tracks are less regulated. Um, there's mm. in F1 you've got barriers everywhere. In WRC <laughs> you're very likely to end up in a ditch or a field. So yeah, I mean, w- w- when would you say? 
in your opinion, when Kubica could come back, what what would you say is the most feasible time? Um, I think if he if he can come back, I think yeah, if he can, mm. if he can, I think he should be looking at around next year, maybe the year after. If he doesn't come back within the next two years, I don't think we're going to see him coming back. I'm wondering whether he he would go to a, a smaller team first, or whether perhaps he'd start testing for say Lotus, um, and then and then getting that way. I guess there's options. Yeah, I, I would say probably the sensible option for him would be the reserve. He would go back to being the reserve driver for Lotus next year if if he's ready to do it. Like I say, I I just kind of get the feeling he, he may struggle a little bit with just pushing the buttons and the the fine details of the steering wheel where he's going to need two hands for doing various different tasks. It's it's a challenge because obviously you got a lot of the young drivers as well, um, and you know I suppose it's a debate for a team where do you have someone who's who's clearly had uh, from what from what I remember and what I've seen you know historically, um, you know, quite quite a highly able F1 driver, or do you go with a you know young up and coming driver, um, you know that that doesn't necessarily have to have those kind of accommodations and you know, that sounds harsh but it's just one of those things you know what what would they consider. I, th- I think the problem with Kubica is because of when his accident happened, he was a driver, a younger driver with a lot of potential. And now a few, as oh, as he's not coming back, the years are slipping by. He's mm. losing that younger driver with potential. And of course, for every year that goes by, he's also becoming race rusty in the mm. F1 sense as well. So he's the, the longer he is out of it, the less likely it is looking that he's going to come back, I think. I don't think we're going to see a return for him in four years or something like that. I mm. think it has to be something that has to be in the very near future or not at all. Uh, I mean, I'm not too sure when uh, the World Rally Championships start, but, um, you know, I'm thinking that obviously if he has a very good championship, then obviously that could, I think the rumours could could increase. And if, for example, um, I don't know, Grosjean or or another uh, driver that's had challenges in the last year, I mean, who knows? I mean, if they they don't get a seat next year and he has an extremely good uh, rally championship, there's probably every chance that he could come back. Yeah, very true. I think, like I say, it's going to depend very much on what he does in the ra- in the rally in this year. If he proves in the rally and that he is capable of withstanding the forces and can do um, what is demanded of him in the car, I think there is a good chance that he will come back. So, like I say, it's probably too early to say yet whether he will or he won't come back, depending on, on the state of play as it is now. But like I say, if he has a very, very good year in rally, that's definitely a very good sign that he may come back next year. Mm. Okay, so the, the next article on the agenda is the fact that Bernie has apparently been commented as stating that he thinks a 22-race uh, season is possible. Um, obviously, there are only 19 uh, races this season um, due to New Jersey pulling out, um, and I think we've got possible races in Russia and South Africa. Yep, that is correct. It was supposed to be a 20-race season this season, but like I say, it's dropped down to a 19-race because they've had to postpone New Jersey. They've not cancelled it. It's not, it's not going away. It will be here next year, providing it's ready. So... Um, we should be back to a 20-race season next season. Um, but maybe if Bernie has his way, like I say, the possibility of 22 with, um, I think it was Moscow and Cape Town were the two venues that were bandied about as being the um, possible venues. Mm. I, mean, I, I know we've had the South African uh, Grand Prix uh, long, long ago. Um, um, well, from our perspective, I think it is. And I'm not too sure if we've ever had a, a Russia one, have we? I don't think so, no. Mm. I mean, there's there's obviously potential. Uh, there's a whole new market there, um, probably is what Bernie's thinking about. But um, I suppose thinking from more of a practical level, 
Um, you obviously have, uh, we can see, uh, for like for example, in the, for this week, you have Australia in one weekend and then you have Malaysia straight after. So we know the teams can turn it around that quickly. But I'm, I'm wondering what the practicalities are of, of having what would essentially be an extra three races on the calendar going forward when you think about the preparation time, the development cycles. I mean, would it have uh, a large impact with the three additional races? Um, yeah, I believe so. I think, um, well, if we look at it as two additional races, I think a lot of the teams, the general consensus among the teams, I they think gear it was up for 20, do they? Yeah, I think Christian, oh, right, Horner, yeah. I think it was Christian Horner who, who said in an interview last season that <laughs> 20, 20 races, um, mm. all of their staff at the current levels are running at 100% to get mm. 20 races in. So there's, they're going to have to take on more staff or change something the way they do as far as the teams are concerned for um, for 22 races. And of course, we only get a um, three month break during the season between the start of one and the end of another. So as well, if they have to try and fit possibly an extra month in there as well, that gap in the mid season gets shorter and shorter as well. So that may be something else they need to consider as well, unless they're just going to take squeeze it in somewhere else in the middle of the season. It's a good point because I suppose that where I was going was I suppose I'd be more concerned about the team's capacity to finish off one season and then focus on another. I mean, yeah, yeah. We, we we know that we know the teams um, make a call or you know we know some teams make a call at a point in the season and say you know what it's a it's a lost cause. It can happen obviously whilst they're still racing in the previous season, but um, I suppose there is a. I think there is a large impact where you can say, well, having a much shorter winter break, if that's an option that they could do by shrinking that time, um, that the teams wouldn't necessarily have that that development schedule. But, you know, on the other hand, they're all in the same boat, aren't they? So I guess, you know, whilst some teams could could complain about that um, justifiably, I think, you know, if everyone's in the same boat, then you just got to manage around it. It's a bit like a regulation, isn't it, that uh, that that is uh, consistent across all teams. I'd be quite interested to see what the take-up is with these countries as well. I mean, I'm not sure if there's any idea um, currently about when we may have answers for those. I would have thought we'd have to know pretty late on into this season. Yeah, I think I'd, I'd be quite surprised if we see anything announced officially before the this season is actually finished. I expect it to be in the season break when um, there's any official confirmation, if if any, of these, these races coming next year. Yeah, I mean, also I'm wondering as well, I mean, obviously with uh, Petrov uh, being Russian as well, whether that, that could... Um, facilitate him entering the Grand, you know, the Grand Prix circuit again. Um, yeah, possibly. He done a lot of campaigning for the the Moscow Grand Prix or the possibility of a Moscow Grand Prix. Why he was in the race? Well, I think mm. it was why he was racing with um, Renault Lotus, mm. as as it was then. Um, that he done a lot of campaigning for the the Moscow one. It all went a bit quiet on that, and maybe this might be a little bit of a resurgence. And like I say, the possibility of um, they may Russia themselves may actually be more interested if he is back in the sport. But who knows? So talking about the possibility of a person coming back to the sport, um, the next news story is a company that may possibly be coming back to the sport. We've got Honda returning as a, well, a possible return for Honda as an engine supplier and um, the possibility that McLaren may be using them as their supplier in 2015. Yeah, it seems that uh, with the changes of regulations uh, in 2014, or well, it's been suggested that this is the case, um, Honda obviously feel that they have uh, more of a you know, technical, higher understanding um, of how to make uh, better efficiencies with the cars, and obviously with the the different um, uh, energy uh, recovery systems that uh, that are looking to be put in place with the engines as well uh, next season. Um, and I, I do I do wonder when uh, when they're actually going to announce that. Would that be? Do you think that's something which could be sort of towards the end of this season? 
Um, possibly not, because I don't. I'm not sure that we're going to see them next year unless there's any team that take them up on the offer. Because mm. um, from my understanding of it so far, with especially McLaren, um, they they'll be looking at getting um, Honda on board in 2015 if they do, rather than 2014. So um, uh, McLaren at the minute are sort of tentatively signed up with um, Mercedes for next year. Still. Oh right. So so it's not sort of a, a something that they have to have as a done deal ready for the following season. No, it's, I don't it's believe possible, so. but they're hedging their bets until the season after just to see if they, you know Honda really do have perhaps a product that they can they can take on board or that even Honda want to you know yeah, still so, get yeah. back into the sport. I yeah. think probably at the minute we're probably in the contract negotiation stages. So until they have a team that are definitely going to go with them, I don't think they're going to announce anything. So as soon as they've signed a deal to supply somebody, we'll hear fairly soon afterwards that they will be the engine supplier for X team the next season. Yeah, well, we should certainly watch out for that. Okay, so yeah, the next news article is the um, announced Vodafone and McLaren split from next season onwards. Yep, that's correct. Um, Vodafone won't be taking up their majority sponsorship deal with McLaren. Well, I think it's uh, technically a partnership between between the two. So um, McLaren have said they've got new partners lined up already, but they're not going to announce anything till the end of this season. So we'll have to wait to see on that one. But um, what do you think, that um, Vodafone don't want to be in F1 anymore or possibly that they think McLaren are a team on the decline? Yeah, it's it's a tricky one, really. I mean, um, I'd, I'd probably say it's a, probably a little bit of both. Um, reason why I say that is because obviously, um, there, you know, it, it could be said that with Lewis leaving, um, you know, he's widely renowned as one of the fastest drivers, I think, in on certainly on the Grand Prix circuit, and definitely um, a very big, um, sorry, definitely a very big um, PR asset as well for the team. Uh, absolutely. Um, I mean, we obviously know that uh, Lewis obviously doesn't like uh, too much of that or, you know, certainly um, to the amount that uh, McLaren wanted him to do. So I think even with his, his presence at the team was enough to um, bring because I don't think yeah. he'd done a lot for Vodafone. I'm pretty sure I didn't really see him in the adverts mm. like we did for um, various like, sort of Santander and those type ones. But yeah. It's sort of, why. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It seemed a bit quiet with um, a bit quieter for the stuff they done for Vodafone, apart from obviously having it on the cars. But um, yeah, yeah I think just his presence in the team was um, it was a big PR asset. So they might find they they lose a few more of the sponsors for that very reason. Yeah, um, absolutely. And it's, it's also been reported, uh, I believe, uh, in the Times, um, looking at some of the the, the uh, online articles, that um, one of the other reasons uh, it's been rumoured has been as a result of the Bahrain um, challenges they had, obviously, last season, where um, a lot of teams were, I mean, an are in basically about whether to whether to uh, join or be part of part of the part of the circuit. It's a tricky one because if you don't, you then you then potentially lose out, don't you? And it was a bit of a rock and a hard place for a lot of the teams. Uh, whether there's any truth on that, who knows? But um, yeah, that's certainly something which um, has been banded around as one of the other potential reasons. Um, so we will have to look forward to see uh, what the next uh, what the next sponsor is going to be. I think uh, could be anyone. Probably a change of paint as well. So unless they get someone else who's um, predominantly red in their um, logos and colours, they'll um, be repainting that McLaren slightly differently. Yes, and I wonder whether they'll actually go back to to white as well. Now they'll stick with the the chrome, but uh, who knows. Oh, I don't know. Maybe they could go for Coca-Cola just to um, keep the silver on red theme alive <laughs> and not change it yep. too much. <laughs> OK, so next on the list is the future of the TV coverage. Um, no particularly huge stories here to come up with. It's not changing or anything like that. But um, there's a few smaller stories um, that I've seen and read on various different sites about the um, viewers decreasing over the years. I think um, it was actually written down that 
Um, in the previous BBC years, four or five years, or say since about 2008, there was a rise year on year of viewers, which um, then suddenly dramatically fell back when the Sky coverage took over. Well, which is interesting. I think um, obviously the I think there's obviously a bit of a concern um, in the sport at the moment. Obviously, with um, you know costs having to be kept very uh, well, obviously a lot of teams have to keep a close eye on the costs um, about you know what what they do about that because obviously it's very much about uh, the sport is very much about getting getting interest, getting a getting a large fan base um, globally as as high as possible. Um, so you have that balance, I think, between potentially additional revenue I'm, I'm thinking of based on the the license fees if if they find that the free-to-air channels are no longer willing or can't pay uh, the the continued or increase uh, fees to to actually televise the sport I think one um, of the deals sorry one of the deals that Bernie had put in place um, when they were doing it um, actually negotiating the contract and the teams were involved in the the changeover was that um, any lost revenue that they uh, the teams weren't getting through advertising would be made up from the money that Sky were actually paying to F1 as well. So they were going to get a share of it to make right, up so for the loss in advertising revenue. I see. So it acts like a bit of like a stopgap. Um, yeah, the money, they're getting the same amount. I think it was sold to the teams as you'll be getting the same amount of money, but from just just from different places. Right. Yeah. And of course, I suppose at the expense of, uh, you know, the, the, the fans um, turning away. Um, I mean, I, I honestly couldn't, couldn't understand why, why that would be, aside from the fact that, you know, it, it's more money than otherwise people would pay for. And, in you know, in times like this at the moment where um, things are quite, uh, quite tight for a lot of people, I guess that's having a, a large factor. And of course, it's a global, um, more global recession than I think we've ever had for, for decades. So, it is going to have that impact, but I wonder whether, you know, it's going to be a, a continued impact. You know, it'd be interesting to see whether that fall continues. Mm. I've um, got, sorry, I've got, I've got a slightly sort of other theory on that as well with them um, because um, uh, obviously F1 being classed as a sport, it isn't yeah. a sport in the conventional sense of the sport. A lot of people, because especially this year, Sky have changed it now. So you don't have to have the HD or you, you don't get it with the HD package like you did last mm. year. You have to have that from now on. You have to have the Sky Sports package, and of course that's a lot more expensive than mm. the normal HD package. And my theory is that um, a lot of people have said I'm not, or a lot of people will be saying now. So we may even be seeing a further decline than we did last year. I'm not going to pay the extra and subsidise with all the channels that I don't want just mm. to watch Formula One. And I think that's going to become even more apparent when people say I don't want to subsidise football. I don't want to subsidise uh, whatever else starts, whatever else is on there. All mm. I want is is F1. And it seems to me now a little bit of a farce that they've made an F1 channel, but are bundling it in with all the rest of the channels. It may as well just be on one of those channels now. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think it's um, I think we'll, we'll, you know, t- time will tell um, about what the true the true impact is. But I think they they do need to keep a very close eye on it um, in the near future because I mean Formula One is very much an um, well, I, you know, I, I think obviously an armchair sport. It's not necessarily something that you know each one of us can actively uh, be involved in, yes. um, aside from going down the local karting uh, area, which is a little bit different, isn't it? Really, let's face it. Um, so yeah, well, you know, it's very much dependent on um, home viewers um, and people going to the races. And I think if they price them themselves out, we, um, you know, we just have to have a very close, uh, close uh, idea about how that's going to impact the sport in the future. And um, hopefully, it won't have too much of a large one, obviously, because we don't want the uh, sport to decline. That's it. And I think that they they're going to suffer some big damage, or well, potentially suffer some big damage with this um, bundling of sports and putting it in with everything mm. else. I think is a problem. And 
what I would hope is if the viewership does decline more now because of this, that um, the wheels will be put in motion for the FIA themselves to actually do something about the TV rights and maybe offer a direct streaming service from the yeah. FIA themselves. So we get all yeah. the feeds possibly and you, maybe you get all the feeds with no commentary. Maybe the FIA provide a commentary as well. Mm. Maybe you can, I don't know, mix and match a little bit, have um, pay a bit of money to the FIA to have a direct feed like the... Um, the TV companies get at the moment, like Sky get, the BBC get when they're covering it. And mm. then maybe we can just listen to the commentary from the BBC or wh- whoever. Yeah, I mean, it, it's interesting. I mean, because I always associate it, I suppose, because he's such a, you know, it's such a um, enigmatic figure that, you know, Bernie has has the keys to this. But um, so, I mean, would it even be possible for the FIA to do something like that? Do they, do they give him the licence to then sell on? Is that how it works? Or is it something which they can say, well, actually, we're keeping some of this back to enable us to you know get direct to our fans via online now and via our own mobile and and internet streams i think that would be pretty much something that'd be governing contract negotiations because i'm i'm pretty sure that when right. sky negotiated it with um the fia themselves and the the sport as a whole there would have been a clause in there that they couldn't do something like that but I see. it yeah. may come to the point when um licenses come up for renewal for the sport uh, that they may have to start looking at that because the viewers have dropped off so dramatically to get people back mm. in the door, as it were. They may have to start thinking about offering another stream. And if the BBC can't afford the rights, that's obviously not an option. So the FIA may have to start looking mm. at something then just because the numbers may drop off so dramatically by then. Yeah, we should certainly have to keep an eye on that, um, certainly throughout the season and uh, in forthcoming seasons. Yeah, so it's definitely a, a worrying trend when you see the figures dropping off so badly after I think it was quoted as four or five years of a steady increase to suddenly fall back to the beginning of where the, the viewer numbers were at the beginning of those few years. So like I say it's a, a slightly worrying trend and hopefully it won't have too much of a detrimental effect on the sport. OK, so that brings us to the end of the first part of our regular agenda for the podcast and the next part will be our race predictions. Okay, so we'll start off with Cole's predictions. Who have you got down for pole on Saturday? Okay, yeah, I've got old Sebastian Vettel uh, on pole. Um, I think Red Bull um, looks, you know, pretty pretty consistent in testing so far, um, and I think they they've done a bit of sandbagging. So I, I think they're going to show their true colours, and I think they're going to try and blast Vettel out from the front. Yeah, I think Gary Anderson um, also said as much for on the BBC website that he come to the conclusion that Red Bull were carrying far more fuel in all of the testing than any yep. other team as well. OK, so that's that one. Who is your prediction for the winner on Sunday? Yeah, I th- I'm actually going to go with Alonso uh, for a couple of reasons. I think, um, firstly, uh, whilst the Red Bull is super quick, a um, little bit concerned about the tyre wear at the moment. Um, certainly looks like to be graining on the softer compounds um, at the moment. Um, and I'm going to go with the fact that Ferrari would be a little bit better on their tyre management. And I can see Alonso um, creeping back up to Vettel uh, after a little while into the race um, and ultimately um, overtaking him. So that's my pick. So Ferrari to have the um, the solid strategy that they had last year. Continued. Yes. Yeah, I think that's better put. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so back at you. What's your uh, predictions for pole? Uh, I think I'm going to have to go again with the same as you on that one. Take the safe option and go for Vettel because, of course, no one's really looked to challenge him in any kind of qualifying up until this point. So until mm. somebody does, I think it's just the status quo as normal. I think. Okay, but what are your uh, what's your predictions for the winner? 
Okay, I'm going to try a little bit of a different one here because um, as of this time, the weather's looking a bit mixed. I think it's 50-50 for whether it's going to be rainy or sunny, which is quite unusual for Australia. So um, I'm going to take the risk that it is going to rain over the weekend. And for that very reason, I'm going to go for Button being the master in the changeable conditions. So although we only have two hosts of the podcast, quite obviously, we've got a third prediction as well, which happens to be um, a four-year-old child that we've managed to rope into the show as well. And um, the reason that we've decided to add this in, um, I'll, I'll tell you the story. I know you've you've heard it before, but I'll, I'll tell it for everybody who's um, who's listening. And um, yep. if I miss anything, you can fill in the gaps for me, because mm-hmm. you may remember something that I didn't. Um, basically, it started yeah, last year at Hungarian Grand Prix, where... Um, just as a little fun game normally i i asked my daughter as well to um make a prediction for the race with me as well of who's going to be fastest and who's going to win the race so for hungary last year she predicted lewis hamilton to be on pole um she didn't watch she didn't watch the qualifying she wasn't that interested or she didn't see the result um so i didn't tell her who was fastest and um after that i said to her okay so who's gonna who do you think now is going to win the race and um she said i don't don't know and i said oh don't you think lewis hamilton's going to win the race because he you said he was going to be the quickest and she said Oh, no, he was, he was going to be the quickest, but she said um, from the start, on the first corner, someone's going to crash into him, his wheel will come off, and then he won't be able to continue anymore. So, of course, yeah, as, yeah, as we both know, uh, Lewis yeah. Hamilton went on to win Hungary with, um, with, with no incident. But, of course, that's what happened at uh, Spa. As um, identically as she explained it for her prediction for Hungary, um, come um, shockingly and horribly true at Spa, and um, that was as soon as... As soon as um, uh, Grosjean hit Hamilton that was my exact thoughts that went through my mind of what she said and it actually did send a chill down my spine so sort of on and off I've asked her and she's she's got a funny knack of um of guessing the right answers as well so I thought it'd be um a, a nice little sort of twist to the predictions to put her predictions in as well right so I'll um I'll go over now and we'll get Jess's predictions for the qualifying and the race so Jess who's going to be fastest on Saturday the Ratty and Battle and who do you think's going to win the race on Sunday Lewis Hamilton who's going to be quickest on Saturday. Sebastian Vettel. Okay. He's going to win on Sunday. Jensen Button. Okay, the next of our regular uh, sections will be the race roundup section. And obviously what we'll do is we'll cover the qualification section first. Um, so, yeah, Tony, what's your view over how the qualification went? Um, very tiring. <laughs> <laughs> Well, safe for me as well, but uh, I was kind of thinking about the drivers more than anything. <laughs> uh, yeah, they, um, yeah. when it finally got going, it wasn't too bad. Um, I think yeah. uh, Q1 was probably one of the most exciting qualifying sessions that I think I've seen in a while well, that I can remember in a long time. So I was, um, that was very, very exciting because Lots of, of spinnies and crashes. And, yeah, that's yeah. it. Will they, won't they make it? Can um, Hamilton get his car into reverse and back onto the track? Has he beached it? Uh, will Massa get back to the pits? And will one of the caterers get back <laughs> while it's surfing along? Why do you think they've particularly struggled here? Um, because I know obviously wet, you know, wet weather is obviously naturally treacherous, etc. I know, but um, I, I was actually quite surprised by the amount of crashes that occurred in that first Q1. Yeah, I did read an article earlier on that I believe may have explained it or go some way to explaining it. And, and what they said was because they very rarely get rain on the circuit in Australia, um, what they tend to do is where they've got the white lines, because of course it's a street circuit, Mm. where they've got the normal white road markings. A lot of places, um, if there's going to be rain, they will either burn them off or will make sure that it's part of the course that it's not done. But in Australia, and don't quote me on them being the only ones that do it, others may, they paint black paint over the white paint instead of removing the paint altogether. And of course, as we know, a little bit of moisture on the track, like the same as the painted kerbs, as soon as they put wheel onto those, 
that's when they're getting him. So there's going to be little treacherous spots sort of dotted basically throughout the throughout the track as they go round. Yeah, especially with uh, in Melbourne, obviously I can see the cars really pushing to the limits in terms of the, the wheels on the edge. And from what it seems like, they, they seem to be touching that. So that's a good point. They seem to be just going over that. That, that sort of that those painted lines um which yeah, would so. cause them to, to slip of course you know yeah so, i mean playing so. on that one as well and i think i think we saw as well it was enough that a lot of people were doing that because maybe they were the the paint or the black lines painted over the white lines to cover up the road markings because they were dotted around all over the track that may have been putting people out of shape a little bit and then causing mm. them to run out wide on certain corners because of that as well mm. Oh yeah, so they're getting pushed out, and then they're getting. They're getting yeah, it's, put, uh, it's putting them offline yeah. as they're going in because yeah. they're hit, they're they're losing traction maybe for a, a millisecond. But of course, with the little area of margin you've got in Formula One, it's enough to send them off of the track, or send them off of line, which is then enough to send them off yeah. off track. But of course, with uh, with Q1 there as well, and Nico Rosberg in both um, Q1 and Q2, um, albeit something like a you know, 16 odd hours difference, but uh, he um, he was really storming through those uh, those first two sessions. Yes, I'm um, looking very good for Mercedes in the in the wet. It's mm. um, well, either Nico Rosberg had a he was airing on the side of a wet setup, so maybe he had a wetter setup than Lewis Hamilton, or maybe he just had the car dialed in better. Of course, without knowing the ins and outs, we can't we can't tell that. But mm. it does look in general Mercedes to be a very very good car in the wet, and possibly that it coped with the cold and the qualifying conditions as well, because of course the um, track temperature dropped a hell of a lot from the from the day before. It did, yeah, and I think it, that he was he was not just faster he was significantly faster um than everybody else so i think if there's a if there's something they can take or big learning curve that they can take from uh, melbourne it's actually well whatever the settings he's got there providing it suits uh, lewis's driving style that they really do need to uh, i think share some knowledge there um as to how that how that uh how that works so well for for nico yeah i think so and i think i think possibly with lewis as well i think i i personally would give him about three races before i judge what he's doing because of course he's Although the cars are both brand new to both of them, it's more of an evolution for Rosberg than it is mm. for Hamilton. Because coming from McLaren, I, I think just in general that car had more downfall. So he's now got to sort of unlearn where he can and can't lift off before where he would have. There's probably places now where last year he would have kept a car planted where he can't do that this year. So I think mm. there's a, there's a little bit of readjusting, sort of going all, almost backwards slightly for him, but. Of course, um, that leads on quite nicely to McLaren, actually, who um, struggled dreadfully in qualifying. They did, yeah. Um, and they're not making a... Uh, well, they're not trying to um, you know, look at a silver lining either. They are they are very very downbeat themselves as well, by the looks of it. Um, and yes, and they come out quite openly in all interviews yeah. and said the car just wasn't up to it. No, absolutely, uh, which which is I think is a big worry um, because if I think the first and foremost, I don't think they actually know from what they've suggested uh, that they know why, um, which is I think is the biggest problem. I think once you know why a car is underperforming a certain way, um, you can then put steps to mitigate it. But I think the, the big issue for McLaren at the moment is that they just they don't seem to know, um, and that's a big problem. It, what what has certainly seemed to come out recently is that they've. Um, they've obviously said that this car is more revolution rather than evolution, and um, you know that's obviously that that comes with risks, and it certainly seems like that's um, not quite paying off for them at the moment. Uh, but theory is that they could develop the car um, easier going forward into the rest of the season. Yeah, I think that was a quote from Jensen Button where he said the car may look the same on the outside, but it's a very different beast underneath. So mm. um, it quite clearly is, and it's not um, may, maybe not quite performing to the um, mm. the level they were hoping at this point of mm. the season already. 
Okay, and a shocking qualifying for Sergio Perez. Uh, yeah, indeed. Q2 was looking them very painful for him. They pulled him in for a set of slick tyres to see if he could make the most, well, make an early jump to slicks to try and get the jump on everybody else. But uh, as soon as he went out, I don't know whether it was because he had a problem, but he did later report that he had what he thought was a rear puncture in one of the one of the tyres, which is why he came back in for a second set. But I don't know whether that was the cause straight away, but he just seemed to be all over it. He couldn't keep it on the track. He couldn't he couldn't keep it for the racing line. There was He seemed to have no grip at all. And um, I would have thought that as soon as McLaren had seen that, they would have brought him back in and put him on a set of um, intermediates again rather than another set of slicks. So I'm thinking they possibly made an error there in um, where they could have secured something, maybe just squeaked him into Q3 if they had um, played that a bit better. So it, um, Button made a call himself, did he not, a little bit beforehand, if memory serves me correctly, yep. to, Button, to sort of make that... Yeah, he did. He wanted to go back mm. from the slicks back to the intermediates, whereas Perez stayed out on the slicks for the rest of the, the yeah. first session. Yeah, and I suppose it's one of those things, isn't it? Just a little, It's easy to say in hindsight, but yeah, just a little bit too early, and he just wasn't then able to, to make up the time when the... It, it was always the wrong time, wasn't it? He came out early with those tyres, by the looks of it, and then was sliding around everywhere. He then had to go in and stick Inters on, but by the time he'd stuck the Inters on, it seemed like the track had finally dried out to yes, accommodate, yep, the, accommodate it, yep. the, the slick tyres. So, yeah, you know, it's... Um, you know, I I, I, w- I would say in a little bit in McLaren's defence, that is a that is a obviously a tricky one to call, and yeah. it's just unfortunate with Sergio that um, you know it just happened to be on his on his maiden uh, maiden race with McLaren. Yeah, I I think the the problem was they they had nothing to lose by taking the risk. They were already doing so badly, they could afford yeah. to throw slicks at both drivers to see what they could do with them. So, yeah. and it, it may have been the decision was probably clouded by the fact that Perez. We I still don't know whether he did have a rear puncture or not, but he was very much under the impression that he had a rear puncture, and that's why mm. he called to come back in for yeah. a change of twi- tires. So it may be that was the reason that they decided. Okay, he had a puncture. That's why he had a problem send him out mm. on another set of slicks and maybe he'll be okay maybe his um sliding about all over the track was purely due to the fact that he had a puncher and going into the the uh, q3 uh, we saw the red bulls um lock out the front row um they really did switch it on uh, as the as the track dried out um lewis did uh, did a, did an excellent time in the mercedes yeah i think that was, um, that was very good i, I did yeah. think he was going to actually split the red bulls at one point as well yeah yeah but he managed to split the ferraris and the and the red bulls um, so yeah, I think it, uh, it, it sort of lined itself up for for an interesting race. Yeah, definitely. And um, if well, if anything like the conditions were um, for qualifying, if that carries on during the race, um, it is going to be even more interesting still. And talking of splitting the Red Bulls and the Ferraris as well, the um, other one to look at as well was for the first time. Well, not for the first time, but for um, first time in a little while, Massa um, qualifying Alonso. Yes, uh, Fernando Massa is faster than you. Um, it's certainly the the case at the moment, um, and um, yeah, quite quite a surprise. Um, but um, it's not by that... not by much. It must be said by a very very small no. margin. But like I say, it's it yeah. all counts in F one. So yeah, that is important to know. Yeah, I mean, you, you look at the reasons why, and um, we could find it's an opposite story for for Malaysia. But um, yeah, very interesting, and it, it does beg to differ. Um, our original uh, podcast when we spoke about team orders at Ferrari about uh, what, what that then means for either the race and and going forward. You know, what rules do they have in place where they determine 
um, who is the, the number one driver for the season. So it should certainly be interesting after the result of this race to see how their strategy um, changes uh, in the coming races. So they made the promise that they're going to um, back the leading driver. Now let's see if they hold to that promise. Absolutely. Okay, so um, another um, situation I think was quite notable in qualifying was um, the Caterhams finishing behind the Marushas. Yes, both um, both Marushas out qualifying both Caterhams, and of course, um, even more um, of a not not a bigger story than that. But to to add to that story as well, that's um, two rookie drivers in a back team at Marusha not finishing at the back of the grid, actually beating two drivers. Well, Charles Pick, who was obviously in F1 before, and Van der Gaard, who's another rookie, but. Mm. The surprising thing there was Charles Pick, the um, the only one of the four not to be a rookie, finished dead last. Yeah, so I mean that won't do his confidence any good, I don't think. But uh, you know, it's one of those uh, things with the team. I suppose you go in a new team, you take a risk, don't you? And I suppose his thinking is, is you know, Caterham have got a bit more backing, but um, and you know, there may be a Renault relationship there. Um, but yeah, I, I, yeah, that's not good. I think um, you know, if you're you're there on your team, you'll want to see. Uh, you know the closing of the pack into the midfield. You want to start challenging with the Williams, the Force Indias, um, the Toro Rossos of this world. You do not want to be fighting the same team you've been fighting for the last you know, couple of seasons. Um, obviously with HRT going out as well. So you know being last is more significant as well this time round for teams yeah. that, are, that are struggling to advance. I think as well. I don't. You don't want to see the team that you were. I wouldn't say comfortably beaten, but um, mostly beaten um, every race last season. Then yeah. um, coming out ahead of you straight away, straight mm. out of the blocks. Mm. I mean, credit to Marussia on on the flip side. You know, uh, they've they've certainly you can see they certainly try to work as hard as they can. Their their development uh, process, especially with Kurz, was a lot later uh, than Caterham's all by full season. So. I yeah, I know this is what, um, yeah, sorry, this, this, I know this is what I said in the last podcast, mm. that arguably last season, um, Marussia were obviously nipping on the heels of Caterham all the time. And maybe had they had Kurz last season, that would have been enough then to have pushed them ahead of Caterham, even at that stage. Yeah. Right. So that's the big news from qualifying um, done and covered. So that will move nicely on to the race. Yeah. So I don't think it was a classic, but um, it was certainly intriguing, obviously, be it being the first race. Um, so, I mean, looking at the looking at the start. Um, obviously, you had Nico Hulkenberg um, out instantly via a, um, I believe it's a fuel system. Yeah, it was. Yeah, um, I was always quoting that. Yeah, it's a fuel system mm. problem. Um, start itself, I mean, if I if I just summarise from my point of view, obviously, you had a fantastic start uh, by Alonso. Um, both both Ferraris. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And Massa had a good one as well. Um, Weber seemed to have wheel spun a little bit, um, which obviously cost him massively. Um, I think Lewis seemed pretty, fairly consistent. I know he had a couple of, couple of uh, instances last season where he struggled uh, with a start in the McLaren. Um, and then, yeah, when I when I first when the when the uh, race was underway and I saw Vettel shoot away, I thought, well, this is going to be a bit processional. Um, but yeah, it seemed it, that didn't turn out to be the case. But um, yeah, what do you think of the start? Uh, yeah, I pretty much go with the same as that. I say very, very surprised on just how quick those Ferraris got away. That was yeah. um, that that was very, very quick. And had it not been for um, the drivers, the three drivers in front of them, sort of darting around for grid position, fighting amongst mm. themselves, um, if the Ferraris had had a clean run, I think they may have both got through and been gone mm. um, themselves on that first corner. But like I say, because they were all sort of jockeying for position into the first corner. That slowed him up a little bit, but it didn't take him long. I think it was about three corners, and Alonso was was already uh, sorry, Massa was right up there with Alonso behind him as well. So yeah, and uh, obviously when Vettel got the clean air, um, he really did start to pull away. But um, I suppose for the for the neutrals' point of view, it's uh, it was certainly interesting to then see 
um, as the track continued to dry out and, and rubber in. Um, Ferraris were able to, to rein him in effectively this time round. Uh, certainly seems like the Red Bull suggests to me that the Red Bull um, you know, eats eats those tyres a bit more this season. But you know, I think a lot of cars will do just because of the changes to the Pirelli tyres as well. But it, it, they seem to have developed that, um, and it seems to have been working against Red Bull's initial race strategy of you know stick Vettel on pole and, and get him as far ahead as, as humanly possible at the beginning. Yeah, certainly. I think as well um, from this race, it's hard to take a- a- any kind of standard of what the cars are going to be like. So I think just the conditions were so different, so changeable. It was almost like a wild card of a race. It was a, mm. a-, a bit of a potluck of what was going to happen at some points of view, because um, with the track temperature being that so so much less than you would generally expect a track to be, even on a normal circuit, let alone a hot one like Australia normally is, the um, tyres obviously weren't getting up to temperature and a lot of cars were eating them because they couldn't get them up to temperature so yeah so if, if i can understand then the tyres the themselves so obviously when it's i do believe obviously there's an operating temperature with, with yeah, there's a, yeah there's so. a win, yeah there's a window of temperature mm. so so below that window the tyres will start to grain they'll basically be grated against the tarmac and mm. obviously too hot you'll start to overheat them and actually melt the the compound because mm. Basically, what is supposed to happen is as the tyres heat up, the operating window makes the consistency of the tyre go almost like a chewing gum sort of type thing. So, mm. so that sort of adhesion, adhesion to the road. So let's say too hot and they'll melt it too low and they'll just be sort of grating layers off of those, which I think we saw um, Satil have major, yeah. major problems with at the end. I think those the he went they switched back to the full soft tyres and I think he had completely destroyed the rears in about three laps. Yeah, I, I think that's probably a valid point into the rest of the season as well. Is while whilst we saw you know Red Bull and the tyres at the moment um, struggle, um, there's every you are right. There's every opportunity in the next uh, couple of races if the Red Bulls get a more effective operating temperature window, that um, that they could still pull away and, and manage their tyres better. You know the whole the whole car could just be designed on on operating temperature, which simply isn't normal at the moment it was particularly cool yesterday um and a little damp so sorry i think i think that this is Nui's whole concept i think from if you look back at previous history of adrian Nui cars he designs a car for the balance he won't design to win under any extreme he'll design to win yes slap back in the middle of conditions Mm. yeah so so they will win more races as a whole rather than dominate the races that they that they're good at or they're specifically good at so Today, it was obviously slightly too cold for the Red Bull. They will maybe appreciate a track temperature of maybe, um, I don't know, just slightly hotter, possibly, because it wasn't a freezing track, but it was definitely cold by um, by normal race conditions. Mm. And I, I think what's particularly interesting um, that we saw, and I, I must admit, I don't understand this um, to, to a greater deal. It could just been a strategic error, but obviously with, with Massa going extremely well, um, we saw Fernando undercut him effectively um, during the race, and you know that that worked. That seemed to work wonders for him eventually. And um, when Massa did the same a uh, little little while afterwards, he he ended up going out in traffic. Yeah, it seems to be quite a weird decision to bring him in when they actually did um, bring him in purely because of the fact they must have known the tyres were starting to degrade. They should have yeah. been covering Vettel for the lead, and they didn't actually do that. They co- they took Alonso in first to go for the undercut. But like I say, instead of um, Massa following Vettelin, he then done extra laps. And I think was told by Rob Smedley, now is the time to show what you can do. Something similar mm. to that. But of course, with fading tyres and 
not a lot of hope of going out and putting in blisteringly fast laps. He was always going to be caught and overtaken by the people behind him. So maybe a, a tactical error. May I don't know. Maybe they did honestly think there was more life in their tyres than there actually were. Yeah, and I suppose it's a bit of an experimental stage at the moment, isn't it? As well, um, you know, I, I think the way the race panned out, um, I think we'll just have to see. I think they, I think the next few races, I think we'll start to get a better idea over, and the teams will certainly get a much better idea, obviously, about how to manage these tyres going forward. But I think the biggest worry I do have are, is these super softs and how quickly they burn away. Now, okay, I know we need to take into consideration that you know it's because it's cool. It, you know, these super softs may be designed for, um, you know, hard, uh, abrasive uh, tracks that are very warm and humid. Um, but yeah, as you as you mentioned earlier with Satil, that's it's a big concern. If we find that these tyres aren't going to last even so much of a handful of laps, you could find that everyone's going to be qualifying on them if it's a dry qualifying. Um, but then, you know, pit within the first couple of laps of a race just to get shot of them. Yeah, exactly. Um, Like I say, I think you run the risk of these becoming qualifying tyres and and nothing more. That's right. And as teams tend to do, um, I think I I feel I've seen over the last few years, you know, when when a change like this happens, they'll all just tend to mitigate towards uh, a a strategy which best, you know, supports them for the the ultimate um, race results. So, you know, you could find that if a couple of teams do and it seems to work, then everyone will start doing it and it'll become this strange queue up in the pit lane. Yeah, Um, I think we we saw that last season where um, there was the smaller teams, like the the top of the midfield running teams, Force India comes to mind quite a lot, where um, because of the way the um, tyres were going and the tyre management, they wouldn't actually do any runs in Q3. Yep, that's exactly the example I was thinking of. That kind of thing we could we could see now um, as a result. But you know, as I say, time will tell. But yeah, I mean, an, another another team which certainly uh, certainly seemed to not quite have a handle on the on the tyres in my view were, were Mercedes. Um, I think after their blisteringly quick qualifying laps, both in the wet and I, I think um, uh, obviously Hamon did particularly well to split the Ferraris and the Red Bulls. They they certainly suggested that they were competitive. Um, but when it came to the race, um, they seemed to fall off a bit. I, I, f- I think as well, um, there was probably, a, I wouldn't call it a, a um, strategic error by Mercedes, but I think they were they based their strategy around the cars going, or the car, as it, it turned out, as Nico Vosberg had to retire. That, but they planned the cars to go a bit longer than they were actually able to do on the tyres, because at one point I heard on um, Hamilton's radio, that they were still expecting him to push and this was the time to push. And he basically said, I'm already going flat out. So I wonder if that, is, yeah, I see, I see what you're saying though. I wonder if that is a strategic area in, in it a little bit because, well, I suppose, I suppose everyone's learning, aren't they? Um, I think, I think and, the problem is everyone's every on in normal circumstances, everybody is still learning in the first race of the season. It's just time for everything to bed in everyone to get used to everything. But mm. to have that then coupled with the extreme conditions or changeable conditions that we had, I think that just uh, some of the times out there for things like that, for, for strategy calls, I think it did make it a bit of a lottery. I, I think what I'm what I'm probably struggling with, and of course it's so easy to say this say this in hindsight now that obviously we can see that they they did have uh, you know um, issues with the tyres, is that I do wonder whether they should have pitted um, Rosberg and Lewis almost like complementing the other the other cars almost like you know looking to attempt to undercut them or pitting roughly around the same time as, as they did and I, I wonder what sort of impact that could have had to well Lewis's race because he, he ultimately finished but to, to the both both the drivers 
I, I think that would have been a hard call for them to make because they would have had to have committed to that from very early on. And I, I think because they were going for a different strategy, they knew they weren't the fastest. Mm. I think they were looking to do basically what Kimi did for the win. Yep. I think yep. they were looking to two stop and hoping to look after their tyres and the car just couldn't look after the tyres like they needed it to. So, And I think once they had committed to the two stop, they had to change very late on, which then didn't allow them any room for manoeuvre, basically. So their hand was forced when they had to come in for that third stop. I suppose what what the what the concern is if if you're a you know Mercedes fan or or, or a team which at the moment you know is also struggling with tyres is that I mean but you you basically have the chassis design and you have you know the aerodynamic upgrades which you can bring throughout the rest of the season but if a car you know struggles with the the tyre degradation I suppose it depends on 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 what's causing that degradation um, both either when it's cool or or, or hot. If we, um, if, we knew, what, if we knew exactly, we would. Um, I, I'm sure we'd be hired by the, um, the Mercedes team to sort it out. <laughs> oh yeah, ourselves. if only, if only. Um, but I, I suppose my point is, I do, I do wonder about, you know, what what control they do have over this. So they can say, well, okay, the, the tyres aren't great in the cold. Is it because it was cold and because it wasn't in the op- it's operating temperature, or you know, do we have a fundamental issue here which we've we've got to try and work on? Because this is this is only this is potentially only going to get worse if it's something which you know isn't a direct result of the the unique conditions of the Melbourne race. Yeah, I think this is the problem that nothing can be drawn from this race as to who really stands where just because it was so changing. Mm. The conditions were so outside of what the normal would have been. We can't really read anything into how the cars are going to react at the next race. And to be honest, I think we're going to have to take almost an average over the first three races to really yeah. see who's going to be where after that. Especially if, you know, you'd like to think it'd be good to see a, var- a variance of conditions across those three as well to get a gauge or, you know, um, a consistent, you know, weather for the next four or five to then to then really see where they sit. I suppose that the performance gauge is if it's dry and hot uh, or warm. Um, that that is the sort of baseline for everyone to work towards. But I mean, do you, do you think teams are able to turn a car that eats its tyres to one that doesn't? Yeah, I believe so, and I believe probably the just the conditions from race to race as well, because we saw last season there was different teams that would be good on tyres one week and then would just mm. destroy the next week. Lotus being an absolute prime example of that. I remember a few times where they thought they could get to the end of the race on tyres, only to have the tyres almost disintegrate laps from the end. Yeah, Whereas which, which... And, and other times they would they would do maybe a quarter extra the distance that everybody else was doing on the same set of tyres. Mm. Yeah, which will certainly be interesting um, in, in the following races to see to see what happens. So I mean, yeah, that that leads us on really to to the ultimate winner of the race with uh, it being Kimi Räikkönen. Um, and yeah. I think from my point of view, the yes, okay, we've already discussed the conditions and the fact that it's you know it seems to have been a bit of a wild card race. Um, we'll see that will be proven. Uh, either way in the next in the coming races but I think the one thing that stood out for me was um, a obviously he was able to do a two uh, pit stop race where everyone else did, has done three um, factoring in the the consideration that yes it, it you know it, it was quite cool uh, was that a reason that the Lotus happens to be able to manage its tyres better when it's that temperature now but the, the biggest uh, I think factor as well was with um, Kimi Räikkönen saying afterwards that he was able to go faster than when he needed to. I mean, you know, with 10 laps to go, I, you know, I, I don't know about you, but my, from my perspective, I was waiting for, for, you know, Alonso to catch him up very, very quickly. And he, and he just didn't. He just he pulled away and nailed the fastest lap at the end of the race. And I think that's very significant. If Lotus can, can sort of 
if, if that if that car is generally um, able to manage its tyres in an operating temperature or when it's cooler, like it's just generally a, a car that can manage the tyres, and that is how they've actually designed it, I think um, Lotus will be extremely competitive for the rest of the season because, you know, the other teams are going to have to compete with a team that, that can effectively do one less pit stop. Oh, yeah, that's it. And it was it was quite clearly um, maybe like I say they could get away with doing one less pit stop. But like I say, again, the the thing that amazed me today about what what Kimmy was doing, like he seemed to get faster on an old set of tyres as Alonso's mm. new tyres were falling off. Yeah. So Alonso was either slowing down um, to save his tyres or maybe save fuel, possibly. Mm. So it may not have been the tyres going off. It might have been fuel levels. But like we say, Kimmy Räikkönen was then able to pull a bit more time out as soon as Alonso looked like he was going to um, actually start mm. gaining on him. I mean, could we look too much into this? I mean, based on the fact that, you know, we, we've already said about the fact that the conditions weren't necessarily ideal, or was was it such a, a, a in terms of tyre management, such a dominant performance that we, you know, no matter what the temperature is and what the how the how the Pirelli tyres work, we, you know, this car is fundamentally able to manage its tyres much better, and and will, you know, basically, uh, I mean, how how long is a typical pit stop? It can vary from race to race, but I mean, what are we talking? Fifteen seconds, seventeen seconds. Uh, I think it's, um, it's it's anywhere. I think from the, the sort of the pit time in general, from is anything from. Uh, I would probably say on average, you you would have it around thirty seconds would be the would be the oh, pit yeah, time. So, would be, yeah, yeah, in two hours. Yeah. So yeah. Mm. In in and out included, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So I mean, you're almost talking that's that's a massive chunk of time, um, especially when you're looking at cars which uh, you know struggle behind other cars and and being able to put put a car out in front as well. That uh, to to be able to just have a car constantly out there and not have to do another pit stop and as you quietly said already keep that performance um is, is a very interesting ingredient to it because my i'll stick my account and say i still feel that you know based on the red red bulls and the ferraris finishing positions that i i do get a feeling now that it's probably going to be between them um but you know lotus you know coming out coming out of blue here so it's effectively this race um, although they did qualify fairly well, it's, it's certainly a good ingredient. And I think obviously with the Mercedes looking strong as well, they they could always be there or thereabouts. And I'd, I'd certainly like to see the you know those two teams get a couple of wins this season as a as a bare minimum. I think as well, it's definitely very in- interesting. Again, looking back at Kimi Räikkönen, because don't forget what was he um, almost famous for last season was being in the, the title race right to the end, having never won a race until he obviously won his race. So yeah. if he's already winning races or has the potential to already win a race at this stage in the season, all he really has to do is do that a couple of times mm. and bring in podiums. And he'll do exactly what Alonso did last season with the you don't always have to win to be right up there at the championship at the end. Yeah. So yeah. combining what Raikkonen himself done last season with what Alonso done, um, mm. if say Kimi Raikkonen only needed a couple more wins and he was right back in the hunt last year. So if he can be as consistent this year in the car, I don't. I'll, I'll put my neck on the line as well now and say I don't think the car's as quick as other cars around it. Mm. And obviously, t- time adjusted, he would have been about fourth or fifth when the um, uh, the, the pit stops coming. I, I would say, looking at it, he would have been fourth when um, if he'd had to do that extra pit stop. Mm. If he can do, but again, was he only coasting because he was out in front? Could he have pushed that harder? and got a bit higher up the grid but like i say time adjusted he would have been down but of course he could have been coasting saving the fuel save saving the tires should he have needed them but Mm. um like i say if what is going to be the key for him i think is if he can be as consistent than that if he can win a couple of races this season and bring home lots of podiums and try not to finish well 
obviously he's going to try, but if he can manage to not finish below fifth and that sort of time, bring in the good points all the time, I think he's definitely going to look a strong contender at the end of the year. Yeah, I think I think one of the my view one of the key things from last season was that yes, you know, consistency was was very very competitive in its in its in in a strategic sense. Um, over that season, um, we did we did have a lot of unpredictability. We did have a lot of um, reliability uh, concerns with some of the top teams. Now, obviously, you know, for for Riken to be able to succeed in that vein, we would need something similar. You know, this this year, um, it's certainly possible. Um, and uh, you know, looking at you know, Mercedes have got a couple of faults which seem to appear in testing and, and appeared in the race as well. Um, McLaren certainly look off the pace at the moment. So, yeah, you know, there's every chance that they can certainly make this into a, uh, a much better season for them. And, you know, currently I'm, I'm envisaging Red Bull and Ferrari perhaps in a in a in a, in a one and two situation. Um, you know, take your pick on which one's one, which one's two. Um, in terms of you know performance, um, and then you're probably looking at the Lotus and Mercedes, uh, you know, looking around uh, behind them. Um, I wouldn't even say McLaren or even after that. I th- I think they they are so far down at the moment, and that will be one of the the bigger concerns for them. That you know you had the likes of Force India, um, and obviously their their team principal say openly admitting afterwards saying that yeah we're taking advantage of this whilst McLaren are in are in a bit of uh, trouble. And yeah, I I think that's kind of the 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 way it's looking into into the next couple of races. I think you could say um, Lotus and, and Mercedes obviously flirting with the the podium positions, um, and until any other teams might might need to catch up. Yeah, I think that takes us on quite nicely to um to McLaren and the, the state of affairs there today for mm. them as well. It's um, I say it's it's worrying finishing um, eleventh and ninth. Oh, so not. Not a complete disaster, but like I say, definitely not where they would want to be. And you would hope to see, for yeah. their sake, for a front-running team having a, a big turnaround by for the next race. I, I, yeah, exactly. I mean, I know, I know what you're saying in terms of it's not necessarily a disaster. They they picked up uh, points, but it, this is McLaren we're talking about. Um, you know, it's it, it's a team that that you know has has such a obviously a, a high history um, and obviously expects just to be at the front all the time. Um, I. I think from that perspective, it is a bit of a disaster for them at the moment. But then, you know, you've seen, as with Ferrari last year, um, a car that wasn't initially competitive in the first few races, but then improved considerably. Um, And I think they've just got to try and, uh, as you say, try and work out why the car isn't performing the way it is first and foremost. And then that's going to be the thing that they say that is going to be what's going to um, uh, worry them the most is that they don't Mm. know what the area or they've from what they've openly come out and said to the media, they don't know what the area is. They don't understand where the problem is with this car, which would be definitely a worrying sign for me as a um, as a driver. If I didn't know why the car was slow or didn't have some some idea as to what was causing mm. it. Tricky start for Perez, definitely as well. Uh, yeah, very, very much so. Yeah, so I mean, in terms of the, the other teams, um, obviously I think uh, with Sutil's um, strategy, he was leading, I believe he was leading about twice uh, in two instances. He was generally leading the race. Um, obviously, we've already discussed the the serious the serious tyre wear, um, but they were, I think they would be quite happy with where the positions that they still had ultimately towards the end. I must admit, I was surprised Sotil still finished ahead of De Resta, um because yep. he was gaining, you know, because Incredi- basically... Yeah, he was, he was closing incredibly quick. <laughs> yeah, he just had no tyres left, did he, Sotil? So I was, I was quite quite surprised that he still went and came over the line um, ahead of Paul, so... I think I think it was a risk worth taking because um, cars behind them were coming up quick when they moved on to the the super softs. Mm. But I don't think anybody expected them to literally 
have gone off in in the three laps or so mm. that it took for mm. Steel's tires to go off. So it it could be. I know the the commentators said that it was a bad call. It was a bad strategy to do that. But I think again they were already ahead of where they expected to be. It was worth the risk. They could have cemented that by getting the new fresh set of tires, or they could have mm. just looked to have been reeled in by the the, the slightly faster teams behind them. But uh, again, seventh and eighth, it's not. It's. But I think if you said said to them before the race, would you take seventh and eighth in these conditions? They would have quite happily taken that. Yeah, they're taking your arm off. And I think that what would be very interesting challenges to see if McLaren have continued uh, continued issues, whether you know it's Force India that are that are looking to compete with them in that what would be effectively middle of the grid. And that's what we're talking at these days, aren't we? Really, in terms yeah. of the car numbers. Um, so yeah, it's even surprising to suggest that at the moment. Um, but if McLaren don't improve, that's certainly where they could find themselves for an extended period, I think. So, I think um, definitely the, the, the worrying thing for McLaren as well is that the problems they every problem they seem to have in testing at the very beginning of the season were all reliability issues. They had fuel mm. pump, um, fuel pickup problems again, similar to what they had last season. So it doesn't look like they've sorted or completely got on top of their reliability, which is what was mm. playing them up in testing this year. And now they've added to that the car isn't particularly fast. That's not looking a very good package to build on. Mm. Plus, also, I, I suppose I, I do wonder the, the the thought process behind um, building a revolutionary car, as they've described it, um, with effectively massive regulation changes next year. You know, I, you know, the other teams, are, I think, um, from my perspective, have taken the view of, well, you know what, we've only got another year left of these uh, of these regulations in a similar form, so we're just going to evolve the car we've got to improve it. Whereas McLaren have suggested that they've taken a, a different route. Now, whether they can still take that route with the 2014 regulations in, I, I don't know for sure. But it does seem a strange strategy decision, really. In you know, with with just one more year until there's a there's vast differences in, yeah, in so how you the cars they would are built. Have, yeah, you would have thought they would have seen it out with the, the old yeah. design before got, moving over to the new one. And I, it was I, a fast car last year, wasn't it? That's the thing. It yeah, was a fast it, yeah. car, and you know, it, perhaps it just needed a tweak and a bit more reliability, and you, you still have yourself a world championship car. Yeah, I say it seems to go, for, and it, it does strike me as if now what's going to happen is they're going to go for a revolutionary car this year that they're not going to be able to transfer over to next year, and end up with then just let yet another evolutionary car. Sorry, a revolutionary car next mm. year. So. Mm, absolutely. I mean, in terms of the the other teams, I'm I'm thinking of. Um, I mean, well, you know, obviously with McLaren, we'll see um, into next race if they can make any improvement. But um, Toro Rosso's um, seem to. I mean, honestly, I, they they seemed absent to me. They didn't seem to. I mean, they, I don't think uh, they had a good initial qualifying. I, I know, but um, what positions did they finish in? Uh, they finished in 12th with uh, Jean-Eric Verne. Oh, and yep. the other position they finished in was Daniel Ricciardo, but he retired. So, yeah. so yeah. that didn't finish. But they did. They come out very, very strong. They looked very good at the start of the race and just faded very, very That's quickly. Point. Yeah, they did. And, um, you know, I, I suppose that they... I, I don't know what their targets are, but I'm, I'm sure as hell thinking Ribble would want them up further up the field so they can get a gauge on how the drivers can perform um, further up the field so um, we shall see if uh, they can make any improvements in the in the next races um I, what, what i'd like to talk about now actually is obviously at the, the back end of the field you have the marushes and, and the caterums um uh, with with williams um, flirting around that area as well i believe bottas finished 14th um and 15th, yeah. obviously with maldonado who doesn't seem to like this track <laughs> um with with the errors uh, again so, yeah, today. What, whatever gave you that idea with um... <laughs> 
uh, last yeah. last year's um, uh, little little trip out into the wall, and then and then this year's Another retirement one. as well. Yeah, yeah, and he was he was making a good deal of uh, spinning the gravel around this time around, that's for sure. But uh, yeah, I, I I noticed that Russia obviously are very competitive with, with Caterham's, um, and I you know from me, from my perspective, there's a there's a perceived sense that Caterham have a bigger financial backing, but they they certainly seem to be struggling to you know open that gap out between them and Russia at the back. Oh uh, yeah, again, it's. Uh, I think you're just chucking everything into the mix, and we can't really yeah. draw too many conclusions from it because they've got two rookie drivers. Um, the car, again, I think they said that their car was revolutionary this year, mm. rather than the evolution. So a brand, a brand new car. But of course, mm. um, uh, Marussia last year was slightly hampered by the fact that they didn't have Kurs, which they've got now this season. So, mm. so we finished with um, looking at those four, the four drivers for those teams. We've got uh, Bianchi coming in fifteenth. Mm-hmm. For Marussia, so he's the highest finishing out of all of them. Mm. Then we've got for Cater and Pick coming in um, behind him, yeah. and Max Chilton coming in the Cosworth behind him. Mm-hmm. So that is fourteenth, uh, fifteenth, and sixteenth. Oh, sorry, fifteenth, sixteenth, and seventeenth, with the Marussia finishing the higher of all of those there. And I'm just looking down my list. Uh, oh, eighteenth, uh, Vandergaard came in in the other Caterham. So if in in general if you're looking at it it looks from the initial um signs that marisha may be the very slightly stronger team out of the yeah team. They, they they certainly seem the happier at the end of it which is always telling because you can always get a sense of what their objectives were um and you know uh, i think it was max children said that you know we're, we're happy where we finished and uh i think they'll they'll be looking just to try and i think beat caterham um and and any other teams that are that could get swallowed up going forward but uh yeah, I think uh, it should should be interesting to see that battle there, really, because it does make you wonder about how how the teams at the back can last being at the back until either they find themselves new owners or um or, or they improve. So we'll certainly watch with interest. Um, I said in the they're not, races. yeah, and they're, they're definitely or by today's performance, they definitely weren't knocking on the door of the midfield. So yeah, exactly. They were yeah. quite quite clearly still rooted to the back. So they've not made mm. um, the big kind of strides that Matt perhaps no. we were hoping for with. Maybe not beating, but maybe at least catching up with the the back of the midfield mm. runs, which doesn't seem to have happened. So that's true. Yeah, it does does make me wonder the, these teams how long they they last then as a result, you know. But um, yep, hopefully um, hopefully they will, and uh, we won't have uh, even fewer teams in the uh, in the season yeah, so, going yep. forward. So and maybe a slightly backwards moves from um, Charles Pick as well, going from Mauritius to Caterham, obviously. Yeah, good so, point. Um, I'm sure he'll be wondering. I mean, I'm sure there's a Renault Renault uh, connection there somewhere, but. Uh, yeah, I'm sure he'll um, he'll be wondering whether that was the best choice. Yeah, because he, even if he wants, like I say, if he wants to go there, he he still wants to be in the fastest car wherever wherever he's going. Mm. And to, to be honest, if I'd looked at it during the the season break, I, I would have said that Caterham probably would have done something this season. But mm. say so I know we can't draw too much from this race, but it's not looking likely this season. I say I would maybe peg um, peg Marussia as very very slightly ahead. Okay, so to effectively wrap up then, um, obviously just in summary, it was it looked like a, it looks a very very uh, interesting um, or surprise surprise uh, win by uh, Kimi. I think um, you know, especially in the manner in which in which he achieved it. You have um, yeah, how dominant he was from yeah from exactly the final stretch. Yeah. Got the usual suspects on the podium effectively with uh, with Alonso and, and Vettel, and uh, they kept the uh, language clean this time <laughs> round after very clear indications from the uh, from the podium announcer. So. Uh, yeah, that's uh, that was um, 
that was that was uh, a, re- a relief, I think. But I'm slightly disappointed as well. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, relief, 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 relief for Martin Brundle. I think that was. <laughs> yes, I think so. Yeah, but um, yeah. So uh, certainly some interesting insights ready for Malaysia um, next week, and we'll certainly have a bit more information on how th- how the teams are laying out after that race. Okay, and finally then, as part of our regular items on our podcast, we'd like to um, to have a technology section uh, just to discuss a bit effectively um, some of the more complicated uh, and complex um, items of related to F1. So, um, firstly, what, I, what I'm particularly interested in understanding is the um, the double DRS, the rearing stalling uh, items that have become quite uh, prominent in the last few months, uh, obviously since testing, and obviously have a better understanding of, of what the subtle differences are between them and what obviously the teams are now looking to employ into the season going forward. Yeah, I think this is a bit of a clarification for us as well. What we 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 kind of went scratched the surface of this, I think, in the mm. um, previous podcast, but didn't really go into to any mm. depth to really explain the difference. We kind of almost spoke about it as if people knew what what we were referring to with active and double mm. and various different things so i think it'd be nice to take it back a, a step as well especially for this podcast they will do it in future podcasts but to take this back a step and really break apart the drs um terminologies to to hopefully get give people a better understanding of them sure so what i'll do is i'll break it down to the difference between the active drs and the passive drs and what we mean by double drs and just the normal single drs so um to start with, we'll have a look at the difference between single DRS and double DRS. So basically, the single DRS would be just the rear wing being stalled as that flap opens, which basically creates the air current to stall the back wing. So that would just be the single DRS, which all the teams run as part of the regulations. And if what Mercedes and other teams, Lotus, I think, tried to do it towards the end of last season was um, double DRS which basically meant um, last season they were trying to stall the front wing as well using the same technology. So they would actually stall the front wing as well as the rear wing. So that's the so that's the double and the single. The double DRS now has been banned. They're not allowed to stall any other part of the car. Then They're not allowed to stall any of the, the um, anything bar the rear wing now. So mm-hmm. the front wing stalling that we had last year is banned. They're not allowed to do that. They can... Um, stall, they can install extra devices, passive devices, which we'll talk about in a second, to um, stall the rear wing more. But they're not allowed, say, to, to now stall any other part of the car. It all has to be concentrated on that rear wing. Right. So hopefully that's the difference between double and single. The, the single is the back of the car, effectively. And the double mm. was they were doing both. They were stalling the front of the car and the back of the car. So effectively getting themselves all round less downforce rather than just l- less downforce at the rear. Mm. So then that will lead in then to um, active and passive. Um, so again, as we briefly went into just then, the active DRS system is the one where the rear wing opens. So something is physically opening uh, as hence active, which is also connected to the brake. So when the drivers put the brake on, the rear wing will close and then mm. um, the only part that is actually allowed to be active now is that flap in the rear wing of the car. They are not allowed to have any other part of the car moving, so they're not allowed to have flaps anywhere else in any way connected to that system. But what some teams have tried is what is known as passive DRS, which, um, going back into a bit more detail now, what Red Bull have tried to do um, this year, it's as the car gets up to a certain load or a certain speed, the difference in air pressures over different points of the car Mm. are then causing the rear wing to stall more 
So as they accelerate down the straight, they can open their rear wing as normal with the active DRS. But then when they're hitting a certain speed, this extra area or the passive DRS is then also stalling the rear wing more. So you're then getting that extra effect of it. But the problem that the teams have had, and I've read that Red Bull in, in particular are the ones that have got most on top of it, but I don't think have still completely got it nailed and spot on to what they want is the speed in which the rear wing stall engages and disengages isn't the same so basically as the cars are speeding up the wing will start to stall at a certain point or at a certain speed but when the car then decelerates back to that speed again the stall isn't disengaging making it very difficult to balance the cars for both accelerating and decelerating mm. but yeah hopefully that should give you a bit of an overview so um for a basic summary i say active and Active and passive is active is something physically moving on the car and passive is something just created by the general conditions the car goes through during the race. And the double and single, the difference is the single is the rear wing and the double was where the front and the rear wing were both affected by the um, the, the stalling effect of the, of the wind going over the wings. So that brings us to the end of the podcast and we just want to say thank you to everybody who's downloaded um, this episode of the Lights Out Racing podcast. We're currently still working on our website at the moment but the forums are live and you can get to the forums from our website address which is www.lightsoutracing.co.uk so say go and sign up in the forums there and you can get involved in the podcast you can vote for the stories that you want to see featured in the next podcast or just leave us some feedback or some ideas for the next podcast it doesn't have to be a news item we'll still listen and if it's a good idea we'll feature it on the podcast as well as the forums you can also follow us on twitter as well um our username is at lights out racing we did have a few people who contacted us after the last podcast with some feedback, which was really nice. Keep that coming. The feedback's always good. Um, whether it's positive or negative, we'll listen to it both ways. And if it helps us improve the podcast, we will definitely do it. Also, as well, the people that um, did get in contact with us said they really liked the outtakes. So, um, again, this week, I will leave you with our little selection of outtakes. So you've All got right. paint on paint rather than tarmac. Extra slippy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe, like say, the the smaller, got to get more out of a smaller engine possibly suits mm. them. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> so, it was it was going well, then we just lost it. <laughs> I was waiting for you to speak, and then waiting for each other to speak. <laughs> no, that was good, we can, we can pick up from that, I think. Right, so next on the news articles, it's the uh, split between Vocal Vodafone <laughs> That's a big split. And again, <laughs> it's a raspberry split, right? Okay, so that'll be the end of... Oh, for f***'s sake. Okay, so what are your predictions? Sorry, tell again. <laughs> I, I need to explain what's your poll prediction, etc. Right, count me in again. Okay, the next of our... Start that again. Okay, so that's the first part of the um, well, what will be the regular... Um, Oh, that wasn't what I was trying to say at all.